I'd like to welcome anyone signing on with us on Facebook Live or Facebook Video Later or our podcast. Thank you for joining us this morning. Come on back to your seats, everybody. Hi, girls. Come on back. It is my great joy to welcome you today. My name is Josh Houston. I'm one of the pastors here at City Reach LA. I like that I can say that now. I'm one of the pastors here at City Reach LA. Tedeschi, yes. We are currently in a two-month sermon series called the Jesus the Storyteller. I've been sharing about the power of story, about Jesus' narrative approach to teaching, instructing his followers. Uh, so we're walking through some of his parables to see how they might have something to say about the way we live our lives and approach our lives. And today, I want to preach a sermon entitled Freedom Through Forgiveness. Freedom Through Forgiveness. And here's my plan this morning. I want to talk about what Jesus has to say about forgiveness and how he invites us into his forgiving flow and how stopping this flow harms us more than we realize. And I want to jump right in because I'm covering a lot today. Um, so if you brought your Bible or your Bible app, I want to encourage you to turn with me. I want to invite you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18, starting in verse 21. We've got Bibles in the back on the connection table. I'll have this text up on the screen as well. And you can follow along on your smartphone or on your Instagram if you want. Wah, wah. <laughs> I know you guys. I know you guys. Okay, this is uh, Matthew 18, starting verse 21. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged. I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him. He canceled the debt and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him 100 silver coins. He grabbed him and he began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay back the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they, out, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that happened. Then the master called the servant in, you wicked servant, he said, I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Ooh, this is a fun one. You guys ready to jump into this? I'm, I'm stoked. Here we go. So this story is referred to as the, uh, the parable of the unmerciful servant or the unforgiving servant. Um, and it opens with this honest question from Peter. Imagine with me, classic Peter, maybe gotten in an argument with some of the other guys, and he approaches Jesus, and he's like, so, Rabbi, how many times do I actually need 
to forgive another person. Like, like seven times? And Jesus is like, no, not seven times, Peter. Try 77 times. And we miss it in the English translation, but it's almost like he's attaching the, the wink emoji when he says this. You know, maybe even the one with the tongue sticking out. That's my favorite one. That, that one, I like that one. He's like 77 times. In the kingdom of God, forgiveness, it's the lifeblood. It's this never-ending flow that keeps the body moving. Seven times doesn't even scratch the surface of what we're talking about here. So he continues. He's like, to illustrate, allow me to tell you another story, Peter. You know, you know what the kingdom of God is like? You know what living into the kingdom of God is like? It's like this king who wanted to settle his accounts with his servants. And in case you need a quick refresher on the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God is wherever the, the reign of God, wherever the authority of God is given opportunity to reign and rule. And Jesus talked about this a lot, so we've got to be clear on what he's, what he's referring to. The kingdom of God is not a location. The kingdom of heaven is not a location. It's not the past. It's not the future. It is, it is any space where the rule of God is in effect. Any space where God is in charge, that is the kingdom of God. And when Jesus talks about his kingdom, he's announcing this new way of being in the world. He's, he's broadcasting this new approach to life. You see, many people's experience of religion has, has merely been this broken and rigid system that allows them to, to remain in a same old mode of operating in the world. Who's in? Who's out? What are the rules? How do we avoid going to hell? And Jesus comes introducing this, this new way of operating, a new way of interpreting and ordering things. So he says, there's this king. And like any good king, he settles his accounts. And, and the king discovers that this man owes him 10,000 bags of gold. Once again, wink emoji from Jesus, right? We read this and we're like, yeah, that sounds like a, money, a lot of money. That's probably going to be hard for this guy to pay this back. This isn't a lot of money. This is a laughable amount of money. So I was doing some homework on this one. Scholars say this is one of those places in scripture where Jesus is like, people know he's funny. Like, this is a funny guy. Anyone listening to the story would have started laughing right now. This guy owes 10,000 bags of gold. 10,000 bags of gold. He is never going to pay that back. I love Rob Bell. I don't know what your thoughts on Rob Bell, but I love Rob Bell. He has some good thoughts on this story. He says, like, this opener, Jesus' opener here, it's like the opening scene from La La Land. You know where they're, like, dancing on the cars on the freeway? And the director is essentially saying to the audience, like, I, I, I know this is over the top. This is what you're getting into, but if you can handle it, if you can like stay with me for the opening scene, you're going to be fine for the rest of the film, right? And this is kind of what Jesus is doing here. He's like, I know this is over the top, but if you can stay with me for a moment, you're going to be fine. So scholars have attempted to convert this 10,000 bags of gold into like the dollar today, and it's challenging because the price of gold, you know, fluctuates, right? Two things I found. This is really fun. This is fascinating. A bag of gold was about 20 years of day labor. 20 years of work, a bag of gold. So we're dealing with 10,000 bags of gold here. And we're talking about 200,000 years of work. Another scholar said we're dealing with numbers between tens of millions and a billion dollars. So let's just split the difference, okay? Let's say 500 million. Think about that for a second. Let's say I'm just looking really blue and you're like, Josh, you look, you look down. Are you having a bad day? And I'm like, yeah, sort of. You know, I received a letter from the IRS, and they said I owe $500 million. 
Like, you're going to laugh at that, right? This is an impossible amount of money. So Jesus is just like flaring with hyperbole here. It's just like this over-exaggeration to make his point. This guy owes the king so bad. Of course he can't pay back this much money. So there's some serious consequences coming. What are the consequences? The king orders the man, his wife, his children, and everything that they own be sold. And hearing this, the man falls on his knees and he begs, be patient with me. I'll pay back everything. Now, we might be thinking as as good 21st century Americans, how barbaric of this king. Are you kidding me? Like the whole family, everything they own gets sold and in some sense kind of true, sure. However, this is how it worked back then. The crowd would not have been stunned or shocked at all. This guy owes $500 million. Of course he can't pay it back. Of course everyone and everything is going to be sold here. This is good bookkeeping. This is what good kings do. This is what kings do. He's got two columns, people who owe him money and people he owes. So this king is following good first century accounting practices. He's holding debtors accountable. Because if he doesn't do this, his people are going to take advantage of him. Now let's get back to the man's plea. Be patient with me, my king. I will pay back everything. Really? $500 million? You're going to pay that back? Once again, the crowd is like laughing right now. Again, the IRS, they say, Josh, you owe $500 million, and I send an email back. Hi, friends. I would just like to request an extension on this pay period. I'm going to give a few more drum lessons per week. Eventually, I'll pay this thing back. This is absurd. It's an impossible request. Be patient with me. I'll pay everything back. What's wrong with this servant? Seriously, like, he's got some screws missing. Something's wrong here. His problem is he's trapped in bookkeeping world. Someone owes a bunch of money. They they can make their plea for more time to pay back the amount. This is his mode of operating in the world. And how does the king respond? He takes pity on the man. He cancels the debt. Now, notice, this is not a more compassionate form of bookkeeping. He gets rid of the bookkeeping. The king tosses his books. He tosses the accounts. It's crazy grace. It's just extreme generosity. So the servant leaves, and what does he do? He finds someone who owes him 100 silver coins. How much is that? It's about 100 days' work. He began to choke the man. Give me back what you owe me. And the one being choked says, be patient with me. I will pay you back. Oh, we've heard this line before, haven't we? But there will be no grace today. Put the man in jail until he can pay me back. Again, it's apparent. This guy is stuck in bookkeeping mode. He's learned nothing from his interaction with the king. And some other servants of the king find out what happened. They go tell the king, and the king is outraged by this. So the servant, he's brought back before the king. Are you kidding me? I forgave your debt, 200,000 years of work. I forgave that. And you put this man in jail for owing you 100 days of work? Fine. If this is how you want to operate in the world, so be it. And the king hands the man over to the jailers to be tortured. And then Jesus finishes his story with, this is how my heavenly father will treat you if you can't learn to forgive, forgive and parable. What in the world? Now, the temptation here is to emphasize, to to land on the extreme love of God, to focus on how much this king owes, or the man owes the king, to make his debt the point, and that's fine. 
It's actually a great message, right? It's the gospel message. This is good. Seriously good news. But where I want to set up camp today is the torture piece. Because <laughs> I think it's the point of the story. Remember how the parable starts? Peter asks, hey, Jesus, how many times are we supposed to forgive other people? And then remember how it ends? This is how my heavenly Father will treat you unless you forgive other people. Yes, God's love for us is extreme. He's got flagrant grace and forgiveness. But those are modeling for how we are to forgive. And if we don't figure this out, we get tortured. So what do we do with that? The, thir- the servant's thrown in prison and tortured? Where'd your extreme love and compassion go, king? What about this flagrant grace and forgiveness? And the point I want to make this morning is that this is not harsh. The king is not being cruel. He is giving the man what he wants. To cling to his books. What the man has is is a transactional approach to relationships. I owe you. Please give me more time to pay you back. You owe me. I want it back right now. And what Jesus communicates here is when you cling, this is so important, when you cling to your bookkeeping, it will torture you. When you cling to unforgiveness, it will plague you from the inside out. I don't believe this is a reference to hell. This verse is not about God sending people to hell. What it reveals is how much we choose hell ourselves. And we don't need any help from God on that. We are quite capable on our own of doing that. And that's what free will does. God permits us to choose hell right now. He will let you cling to your books. He will let you grip at your transactional way of relationships, resisting forgiveness, and it will eat away at you, and it will torture you all the way to your grave. God says if that's what you want, if you want to hold tightly to your ledgers, who offended you, who bullied you, who abused you. If you want to cling to that, you are absolutely free to. But I'm offering you a new way, a new mode of operation, and it's called grace. And catch this, it doesn't just free them, it frees you. And we could spend more time digging through this story, but what I want to do is shift a little bit here and and work through some of the practical angles on forgiveness because eventually we have to move beyond merely talking about forgiveness and step into forgiving, right? We have to step into it. Um, And for me, I just wanted to say this up front, Lewis Smeads and Rob Bell have been incredibly helpful on this issue. So if you're looking for, if you want to dive deeper into like practical moving into forgiveness from stuff from the hurts from the past, I'd love to point you in the direction of some of their work. They're brilliant on the issue. And I bring that piece up because there's only so, you can only go so deep in 30 minutes in a sermon, right, on forgiveness. However, we are going to work through some of the how-tos this morning because it's easy to, to, to talk about forgiveness in theory, in a vacuum, but we all know that's not where real life is lived, right? We have to get the conceptual theological framework of forgiveness, but then we actually have to step into how do we do this. Um, and my guess is, as I've been preaching already this morning, somebody's come to mind, a painful memory has returned, a wound has flared, that deep ache in your gut or a, or a fiery burning in your chest. And what usually follows are practical and I believe the necessary questions. What does forgiveness actually look like? How do we in fact forgive someone? I was hurt. I was abused. I was offended. I was wronged. What about, what about, what about, what about? In fact, you might be sitting here this morning just thinking, 
there's no way. There is just no way I could ever forgive that person. And that might even be totally fair, honestly. So my hope today is that by the time I'm done, you'll have just a little clearer picture of who you need to forgive. A little clearer picture on how to do it. And just a little bit more desire to take one step forward in the process of forgiveness. So to start, let's touch on what forgiveness isn't, because I think it's really important that we start there. First off, forgiveness isn't forgetting what happened. Forgiveness is not forgetting. In my experience, forgetting is sometimes used to escape the pain of healing from the pain. It's, it hurts too much. I'm, I'm scared of digging all this up again. I just want to forget it. And that's not forgiveness. That's denial. It's a totally different thing. Deep wounds, deep pain, they demand going there. We, we can't just forget. The deepest pains, they demand that we go back to the wound in order to heal it, to remember the whole thing so it can be called for what it is and cleaned out and restored. Forgiving and forgetting are not the same thing. Another one, forgiveness is also not condoning what they did. This is really important. It's not condoning the pain that was done to you. I want to be real clear here. We're not talking about approving of or excusing or okaying what they did. It might have been awful, like an abuse, a deep trauma. But you won't be able to forgive that person if you won't identify what happened and how badly it hurt you. You have to be able to call it for what it is. So, so when we forgive, we're not excusing, we're not disregarding, we're not condoning anything. Forgiveness is not some mushy, gutless resolution. It's actually a call to stiffen our spines and hold that person accountable. Which means forgiveness may lead to serious consequences for their decision-making, which means your forgiveness may put someone in jail. And that's okay. So when we talk about forgiveness, we're not talking about standing in the way of justice. We're not talking about standing in the way of consequences for their wrongdoing. We're not talking about condoning or okaying what they did. Forgiveness is also not waiting for them to admit or confess or apologize for anything. This is really important. Forgiveness has almost nothing to do with them and everything to do with you. Forgiveness cannot be, it cannot be dependent or contingent on an acknowledgement for wrongdoing. Because if you wait for someone to reform, if you're waiting for someone to repent or apologize, you may up in bondage to your bitterness all the way to the end of your life. You may, up, you may end up waiting your entire life for a day that never comes. Forgiveness can't wait for them. Otherwise, forgiveness may never happen. And when forgiveness festers, unforgiveness festers, you're the one who pays for it, not them. And then we need to know that forgiveness isn't the same thing as reconciliation. Forgiveness does not mean reconciliation. It may mean reconciliation. It may mean settling what happened and uniting back to how it was. But it also might mean creating very strong boundaries and the relationship never returning to how it was. I believe you're you're called to forgive everything. You're not called to tolerate everything. It's very different. So forgiveness may mean forgiving them from a distance. You can forgive someone and never see them again. You can forgive someone and never be in the same room with them ever again. Why? Because toxic 
destructive people can't handle functional relationships. For them, intimacy means dysfunction. So to forgive them will probably have to mean less time with them. And the really hard part here, people that can't be trusted with intimacy don't understand that. What's the big deal? Why can't you just get over it? Let's just go back to how things were. But some of you know you can't just go back to how things were with some trauma. With trauma, you can't pretend like it never happened. The trust might have been so broken that it may never heal. And even if there's a small chance of it restoring, that trust restoring, it's going to take a long dang time. And I want to note here that reconciliation requires two healthy people. So in the best of worlds, in the best of relationships, the, best, the most ideal situation, two healthy people can come and restore the relationship again. But if you don't have two, distance might be the healthiest thing for the relationship. Sometimes the other person won't be capable of reconciliation, and you'll have to heal alone. Because forgiveness and reconciliation are two very different things. You following with me? I know we're jumping into it. I know I'm tapping into some nerves right now. And it's kind of like, and I'm sorry, and just stay with me. I believe God wants to do some, some deep work here. So those are, those are a few things that forgiveness isn't. Obviously, I mean, we're not doing a, you could do a class on forgiveness, right? I'm just, this is just hitting the surface. A few things forgiveness is. First, forgiveness is a process. Forgiveness takes time, and for some wounds, it takes a long time. General, general rule of thumb, the worse you've been hurt, the longer it's probably going to take to forgive, and that's okay. Ultimately, I mean, I think what we're shooting for ultimately, the process of forgiveness, what it leads to is releasing the other person from the pain that they caused us and even getting to wishing them well. But that can be a really long road. Now, you might hear this sermon today and you just like walk out of the room encouraged and you feel lighter and you're like, I'm ready to forgive that person. And that would be awesome. But for many, the best that you might be able to achieve today is just one step forward in the journey of forgiveness. Because forgiveness does not happen in a moment. It happens over time. It's not an event. It's a process. So I want to lower the bar a little bit today. If by the end of this sermon... You simply become aware that you need to forgive someone when we got to start with awareness. Or if by the end of the day, you hate that person this much less. Or if, if by the end of the day, you want to spend a little less time saturating yourself in bitterness towards that person. Or you spend less time thinking about how you want to cause them pain. If that happens, take it as a win. Because forgiveness is a process. My divorce took a long time to heal from. It took a long time for me to forgive my previous wife because of the deep wounds that she caused me. So like wishing her well a few months after she left me, it's not going to happen. We have to give ourselves permission to let this process of forgiveness just kind of slowly wash over us. We've got mud, years of mud caked on, and it's like we put a, a hose on really slow pressure just dripping on us. Sometimes it takes a long time for this thing to come off. And if you just don't want to kill that person today, victory. <laughs> okay? Let's just lower the bar. Another one. Forgiveness is refusing to allow someone else to rob your joy. 
Forgiveness is refusing someone else to rob your joy. And I want to hit this idea from a few different angles. I think metaphors and, and analogies and, and images are kind of really helpful in this conversation. Um, Esther Letterer once said, hanging on to resentment is letting someone you despise live rent-free in your head. <laughs> Don't let them do that. <laughs> or an old Buddhist teaching. Holding on to anger is like grasping a hot coal with the intent of throwing it at another person. You're the one who gets burnt. Or the classic, not forgiving someone is like drinking poison and hoping the other person dies from it. We really need to get this part because if we can't free ourselves from the pain that they hurt us, we enslave ourselves to our past. We become chained to our pain and we, up, we end up letting our hate dictate our future. So when we forgive, we're refusing to allow someone else to rob our joy. And then forgiveness is entering into a divine flow. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of break this piece down. What we're doing here is we're passing on to others what we've received already. So I don't know if you ever heard, the, like played with the differences or, or heard kind of the distinctions between the Sea of Galilee and the Dead Sea. So um, bodies of water. Um, kind of where Jesus was. And a lot of, it, a lot of big stuff happened at the Sea of Galilee for Jesus. So if you think about this, the, the Sea of Galilee during Jesus' life and ministry, this body of water was teeming with life. So much life. Still is. And it had a string of very thriving cities surrounding it. And it was famous for its fisheries throughout the entire empire. The Dead Sea, on the other hand, just a little way south, it's made up of 25% salt and chemicals which makes it impossible to sustain life in that body of water. One is overflowing with life. The other is festering with death. And the difference, the Sea of Galilee has an outlet. Water flows in, water flows out. The Dead Sea, no outlet. Water flows in, nothing flows out. So what happens? Water evaporates, salt stays in. This is not rocket science here. The difference between life and death is an outlet passing on what is already received. And this is the point I really hope to drill home today. Without any effort from you, you have already been experiencing a divine flow of goodness. No matter your current reality, no matter your awareness, no matter your problems and your struggles and your confusion right now, you are receiving grace and forgiveness and blessing in ways you're probably not even aware of. And the invitation presented to you by God is to pass on what you've already received. We're invited into his forgiving flow. We're receiving love and grace and mercy, and then we offer to others what has been given to us. You see, the love Jesus talks about, it's a love, it's a grace that, that, that's offered by God, and it drenches you before you repent. Before you come clean, before you admit, you admit any wrongdoing. And the way Jesus puts it in the prodigal son story is that the heavenly father runs to you in the middle of your excuse. Before you even change your heart, he's sprinting at you. And then Paul comes along later and writes, while we're still sinners, Christ died for us. God's love, it extends to us long before we get our act together. It's in the midst of our nastiness. It's, 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 it's in the midst, it's despite our cruelty. Forgiveness washes over us. Jesus declares you've been forgiven by God. A huge debt. $500 million. <laughs> 
You've been forgiven. This is such good news. And then he offers this sobering caution. If you refuse to pass along to others what you have received, you will cause death to fester in you, and it will torture you until the day you die. So to come back to Jesus' story, we've been trained in bookkeeping. It's our culture. You get points for being in. You lose points for being out. You get points for being good. You lose points for being bad. And God doesn't play that game. This is the gospel. It's the good news of Jesus. He says, God threw out the books, guys. He's thrown out the scorecards. The gospel screams that you're striving to get in with God. It's pointless because you've been in the entire time. You've been a child of God the entire time. And he makes you aware of that forgiving flow that has been yours since your birth. And then he invites you to send to others. Now you might think, they don't deserve my forgiveness. And I want to shoot straight with you. Of course they don't deserve your forgiveness. Of course they don't deserve mercy and goodness. But neither do you. The question is, how long do you want to be tormented by your unforgiveness? So I think the really important part where we land here is how do I do it? How can I forgive them? And I, I believe it's as simple and as difficult as this. Resolve to take one step forward in the process of forgiveness and ask God for help often. Just resolve to take one step forward in the process and ask God for help often. You see, forgiveness is never cookie cut. It does not look the same for people. Everyone processes different. Everyone progresses different. Everyone has different speeds that they move forward. But it does require your commitment to take one step forward in the process of forgiveness. So you may need to talk this pain through, this hurt through with a therapist. And that's awesome. Or maybe you need to write a letter to that person and say everything that you feel and then burn it and don't give it to them. Or maybe you need consistent meditation in the presence of God. Or maybe you need to start a fast, asking God to come heal this deep wound that's been done to you. While there are no right ways to forgive, there are wrong ways to forgive. <laughs> but there's not a right way to forgive. It simply demands a decision from you that you will advance in the process. As long as it may take you, as uncomfortable as it may be, with the understanding that you are absolutely powerless unless God steps in, unless God aids you and helps you. So we ask for help often. As I begin to wrap this up, I want to create some space to actually think through taking one step forward, whatever that might look like for you. And this, this idea, this concept has been pretty helpful for me. Think of that person. Think of that event. Think of that pain. And imagine you and them and that thing floating down a massive river. And this river is representing the unconditional acceptance and goodness and forgiveness that is God. And you're all floating down this river and you're on separate rafts, but you're all tied together. You, the other person, the thing they did, the rafts are tied together. Now you're already on that river. You don't get a choice in that. You were on it. Whether you like it or not, whether you realize it or not, you were on that river. But you get the decision to cut the rope. To gradually see that thing float away. 
And what you realize, it's like Lewis Smedes communicates, is that forgiveness is setting someone free and discovering it was you. When I'm able to cut that rope, I'm setting someone free and then I discover it was me. In Jesus' story, the king goes from bookkeeping to grace, and this is his invitation to the listener to release that person from the pain they caused you because when you do that, you don't just set them free, you set yourself free. I want to invite Jackie to come back up as we go into a, a small time of response and worship through song. And we're going to have two, um, two leaders here to be able to pray with you if you want. Um, we'll have one on each side, kind of by the communion here. You may need someone to stand with you and just pray for you because this is touching a nerve and just bringing up some hurt and you don't even know how to progress. So I want to invite you, if, if you need someone to stand with you and, and, and pray that you can take, that you would have the courage, the strength, the grace to take one step forward. There, Nick and Annie will be here to pray with you during this. And I just want to ask you, who do you need to forgive? Someone you have trouble thinking well of? Or someone you loathe with a colorful fury? And maybe you're waiting for them to get it together or, or confess their wrongdoing or acknowledge the pain they caused you. But can I present an alternate conclusion? Imagine what it would be like to not have to carry that anymore. And do you realize that this kind of freedom is not waiting on them, it's waiting on you. Jesus invites us, he invites you to a new way to give people what they do not deserve and then to see what happens to you. So Jesus, we ask for your grace in this moment. We've already received of your grace, your incredible forgiveness and mercy and goodness, but as this message might be tapping into a nerve, realistically is probably tapping into a nerve for some people, for some deep wounds that have been caused. I pray for an empowering grace to be able to go there, for courage to take one step forward in whatever the process of forgiveness looks like for them and that they would invite you into it and ask you for help often. God, we need your help so badly on this because we're not good with forgiveness and we want to be like you, so please help us. Help us to be able to cut the rope, to separate that person from the pain they caused us and ultimately to set ourselves free from this torment. We ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen.